we're recording in the morning, which is why I look and sound like terrible. But mornings, well, it's not so much that mornings work better for you. It's just that weekdays haven't Wait, worked for me recently. You think you you think you look terrible? Yes. I was going to tell you this is like the best you've looked since maybe we've started this podcast. Oh, is it because I haven't shaven? So you, it's like a there's like a uh, facial shadow. I would just put you at like a solid five out of ten right now. All right, that's that's fair. Cool. Yeah. So that's about the best I've ever seen. Welcome to Game Life Balance US, a lifestyle podcast about how to be a grown-up gamer and still go to work and get sleep. With your hosts, Cody Goff, and Jonathan Martin. You're going to be my meat in my Jonathan sandwich. Check out our website at gamelifebalance.us, where you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, YouTube, and more. I'm Chris Farrell from the official GunnaGeek.com podcast, a proud member of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready, because geekiness begins in three, two... Welcome, WGN radio listeners who found us from the Nick DeGilio show. I was on the Nick DeGilio radio show Wednesday plugging Game Life Balance US. Did you know that? Who's who's Nick DeGilio? He's a host on WGN I'm radio. sorry. A legendary host. I, He's so on the block of fame. Listen, listen. I'm allowed to ask that because I don't live in Chicago. Yeah, that's fair. So I'm not offending anybody. I'm from Minnesota. It's not like a WGN. It's not like I have access to WGN. It's not like there's anywhere on the internet I can listen like to Like a WGN radio. So... <laughs> Right. I have zero ability to listen to the Chicago-based radio station, so it is not offensive that I am asking who is Nick DiGilio. That's fair. Now, he's been at WGN for 20 or 30, like a very long time. He was there when I started. He's a great host, very gracious. He and his producer are just the coolest dudes. They're two of the first people I got to know when I started at the station. Prime, sti- prime time style prime t- host? Yeah, he's, uh, he's 2 to 5 a.m. weekdays. So oh, he's sweet. one of the overnight hosts, uh, which which has a, an awesome audience. They're great. I started on the overnight, and uh, yeah, WGN's got some of the most loyal overnight listeners, and hopefully we entertain them. Why did he want to talk to you? Uh, me, personally, I don't know. Uh, yeah, yo, so you had, yeah, yeah. he actually had no idea who you were, didn't really want to talk <laughs> right, to you. Right, no. But he had to fill a show. He I had mean, to well, fill a show. That's no, I- basically why I do this podcast with you, is because I just feel vaguely obligated to so obligated. fill a show sure. with you yeah essentially yeah. so this is uh, so anyway yes welcome if you found your way i i was explaining on that that episode or on that broadcast that the curiosity podcast that i do where we book lots of guests is like it's like very like high production value very guest oriented very educational this podcast which i didn't like articulate very clearly on the show is more of the is the opposite is the opposite of all it's of those. more of the opposite of all of those. Uh, we don't have guests generally. The talent is kind of us, so I'm so sorry that you're stuck with that. And that's, uh, that's why it's Game Life Balance Us. We do. We talk about balancing games in life, especially in the context of the Super Nintendo Classic, which John and I both have procured. And on this week's episode, we'll talk about an SNES Classic minigame, Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars. It's just actually, do you know that that's not... The official title, it's just called Super Mario RPG. I actually didn't know, I didn't 
I don't know where you were pulling that Legend of the Seven Stars. I thought it was just Super Mario. RPG. It's on the box. It's subtitled. Is it on the box? Yeah, on, in the North okay. American release, it's subtitled Legend of the Seven Stars. So I don't know. I've always known that, but I've always been good at knowing things. I've always said that about Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna review that today, and then get into some life stuff and get into that whole balancing issue <laughs> issue. I will say before I will say before we start, like normally we do record at about eight o'clock at night my time, and I being uh, being somebody who is a lot of times up at four o'clock in the morning, by the time eight o'clock rolls around, I often have to push through with um, with cocaine uh, to make that work. No, really though, I'm often oftentimes like I'm pretty darn exhaust at the end of a, a regular weeknight which is our normal night to record so the days where we do this on the weekend where i'm up and i am much more of a morning person you are much more of a night person but the days in which we do record in the morning and i can have my three quarters of a pot of coffee in my one mug that i have and that's you know what i'm drinking at the same time i feel so much better about recording in the mornings than i do recording in the evenings but i do it for you, yeah, for Christmas. That's good. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, two thirds of a French press is good for me. That's about as much as I can do. There was a article on curiosity.com that talked about how the optimum cups of coffee to drink are. Do you know how how what the healthiest number of cups of coffee to drink so, in a day is? I must, I must stop you right there, curiosity.com, because. The studies on coffee over the past 20 years have been much like the studies in salt, where three years from now, we're going to get a study that says coffee will kill you tomorrow. And then three years later, it will say coffee is the cure to all of life's diseases. That's going to happen and continue to happen. So your podcast will have to be redone in three years, you know, regarding the new studies that have come out on coffee. But as of right now, I'm going to say that two eight ounce cups of coffee is the correct amount of coffee to drink. It is three to four cups of coffee, actually, seem to provide the most health benefits, and that was the result of a, not a single study that was done, but a, I can't find it on Google, but the, some, whatever it's called when, it's some kind of review of several studies. It's like an, it's like an aggregation an aggregate, of yes. a bunch of studies. Yeah, an, yes. aggregate was, yeah. an aggregation was done or whatever. But anyway, yeah, it was three to four, and it, that seemed to be the tipping point for the most health benefits, like decreased risk of diabetes and 9,000 other like problematic things as well as some oh, cancers. It's the, it's, it, is, it is the um, single consumed thing in america that has the most antioxidants in it as well oh. from what i understand it provides americans with the most antioxidants which are anti-cancer it'll also make your heart explode if you drink too much of it so hey you know sure. take it from the pharmacist you take, you take the good you take the good with the take bad. it from the pharmacist who is just joking about doing cocaine to do podcasts sometimes you have to stay up at night i know i'm aware so speaking of staying up at night, let's talk about this SNES classic game that we played before we oh, dive in. Some I want to talk about it. I want to talk about it so bad. Some of other... I, talk... I even, I took notes. It's the first one. It's the first one that we played where I was taking notes as I was playing it because there were points that I wanted to make sure I hit on. Wow. Because I, because I enjoyed it. I don't know about you, but I enjoyed it. I, I will say, so we've been looking at these games... Uh, podcast listener, we've over the since we came back, we took a six month hiatus, and since we came back, we have just been doing um, podcasts based around some games we're playing from the SNES Classic, as Cody mentioned earlier. And our plan is over the next half of a year to go through every single game, and each one of our podcasts will be focusing on on a game. 
and we have we played most of these games when we were kids, most of them. So we've got some serious rose-colored glasses, I think. Uh, at least like that's I'm speaking to myself for that, but I figure you're probably in the same camp where like you have a strong sense of nostalgia for a lot of this stuff, right? Yeah, well, I I, I think that that's 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 very much colored by how much exposure we got to it. There's a difference between a game we owned and played a thousand times and a game we rented and played once or twice. Yeah, that could be... I, I know. I must have made them on... You know what? It doesn't matter. I remember. I vaguely remember them. So, anyway, so they're... They... Yeah, they're... Like, we're looking at them through rose-colored glasses. So, like, when I... When we sat down to this, I remember as a kid, because I have not played this game in a very long time, I remember being like, man, this was one of the best games on the Super Nintendo ever. After playing it again, I'm I'm definitely not in that camp anymore. I really enjoyed it, but like it definitely had some issues as well, and we'll eventually get into those, I'm sure. Um, but but generally, like it was not as good as I remember it being. I don't know where you come down on that. Yeah, I would say yes and no. There are things that really held up well, and there are things that didn't. So, for some background, this was released in North America and in Japan in 1996, and it was a collaboration between Nintendo and Square Enix. Well, no, it was Squaresoft at the time. Squaresoft... Which this was, yeah, this was one of the last things that happened before Square jumped ship and went to PlayStation so they could work with CDs instead. Yeah, Squaresoft at the time, now Square Enix, of course, famous for, at that time, Final Fantasy 4 and 6, which were ported to the SNES in America as Final Fantasy 2 and 3. They had just released Chrono Trigger recently, and Secret of Mana was still in everybody's minds. So Square was just on this roll with the best role-playing games ever. And then, as John mentioned, once they kind of split with Nintendo, they ended up putting Final Fantasy 7 on the PlayStation console the Sony PlayStation because it was a CD based game and they could fit more stuff on it even though they had used three CDs for it and and then they still had a blank check to make whatever they wanted for the next 10 years I mean Square dominated the Square Enix dominated the industry for through the end of the PS2 era yeah yeah and it was just the only thing the only thing that the only thing where they got messed up was jumping to the PS3 era consoles but they were they dominated the role playing game market yeah. up until that point exactly so so this was like the last collaboration that they did on a Nintendo console before jumping to PlayStation consoles. Yeah. And it's on many lists as one of the greatest video games of all time. Um, It had unique movement and lots of unique things to the Mario series that you wouldn't expect to see and many gameplay elements of the Final Fantasy series. So it's like taking two of the most beloved properties in video games and combining them, which is really cool. And that's where we're at. I, I rented this game. I never owned it. I've, I either rented or borrowed. I've beaten it at least twice before, I want to say. For sure once, but I think twice. And then, yeah, we played it this time. And you just have a party of up to three characters, and we'll talk about the characters. And, yeah, the the, the play is pretty solid. The graphics are solid. And uh, I'll let you start with your thoughts. I think one of the, one of the things that I liked the most about it is how it really... Sub- so, it, it's one of the first games one of the first mario games that ever really subverted what you come to expect from mario and it happens immediately when the game starts because the game starts saying hey princess peach was stolen again i mean it's literally like the same setup to every other mario game ever and the game starts with mario running into bowser's castle there's there's no exposition of any kind before that other than bowser comes and takes princess you go through bowser's castle 
And within five minutes, Bowser's castle is taken over by beans from space, basically, is what it looks like. You find out later that it's from the Star Road. But Bowser gets thrown out of his castle, along with all of his his Koopa troops. And they get spread to the winds, to areas in the rest of the, the planet that you're on, whatever, the Mushroom Kingdom, I guess, is where you're at. And a new villain is put in his place. And that is ends up being the big bad for you. And this is the first time where Bowser actually is a good guy. I, I guess that's a spoiler. He's a playable character. Sure. he's He is a protagonist for for all all due respects, right? He's a protagonist in the game because he's trying to get his castle back. So he ends up joining your party and you're fighting this kind of one-off villain. And that's kind of where... I really like that about this game. I like that Peach joins you too because up until this point, Peach was never really given any agency of any kind. Although in this game, I think she's, she's still Princess Toadstool in this game. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she's she was never given any agency before. I guess except maybe Super Mario Brothers 2. Yeah, yeah, that's about right. Super Mario where, 2 where, in, where you, where you, in the U.S. Right, where you could play as her as well. Yeah. So, but otherwise, she, it, the games have always rolled just around her getting kidnapped by Bowser and then you having to go beat up Bowser. So, there was a lot of stuff that was very forward-thinking about this game at the time. Now, there's plenty of other examples of this kind of thing happening in a variety of different ways. But you have to remember that in like the historical context of this, Mario had always really been a platformer. Mario had obviously appeared in a lot of other games, but not as anything important, like the referee in, in tennis games and stuff like that. But like in, in terms of like the core Mario games, this was the first that was something different than a platformer. And it was also one of the first RPGs, I think I, I can remember, that really blended a platforming style along with a role-playing game, like a role-playing game mechanics. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, I think it works. That's got a couple of issues too, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. But generally, just like the structure of the game, what they were going for, and how kind of like fresh of an idea it was, I thought it was super cool. Yeah, and this came really late. I mean, this came out the year before Mario 64, so this is one of the last games, yep. most advanced ones developed for the for the Super Nintendo. And it's kind of a shame what happened after because it introduces a few characters and a lot of kingdoms and concepts that have never appeared ever again in any Nintendo game. Uh, maybe a couple allusions, like a costume that's similar to one, but there are two characters that you get in your party named Mallow and Geno, and they have their own whole fan bases, but they've never ever come back to the Mario universe, presumably because Squaresoft owns the rights to them, but it's not really clear. Yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea how, how any of that ended up working, but um, they're... In terms of characters, for me, they like those two particular characters aren't terribly interesting, but they are something different and new, and I guess that's kind of fun. But I don't really mind that they're not there. the The important part about this game is the ideas then translated over. They basically took they took a te- they took the Nintendo part of the team that made this, and they broke them off, and they started to work on other. Mario RPG titles after that. And they were never titled Mario RPG again. That was this was the only one that was called Super Mario RPG. But the spirit of this game lives on in games like like Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga, Bowser's Inside Story, um Paper Mario. This was the team that then went on to make the Paper Mario games, which the first one came out of the Nintendo 64, then there was the Paper Mario Thousand Years Door on GameCube. 
So the spirit of Super Mario RPG lived on, and those games moved more in the platforming direction and less in the RPG direction. This is the the thing about this game, about Mario RPG, in terms of the RPG-like games that Mario stars in and has starred in since then, is that this one, I think, has the balance the best between an actual RPG game and a platformer Mario game. I feel like other games in this type of, of genre for Mario are too platformy. Oh, okay. Like, what ones have you played yeah. that are too platformy? So I've played um, Paper Mario. I played Thousand Years Door. I played, I played Super Paper Mario for the Wii. I played Superstar Saga. Uh, and I think those are, the, those are the four that I played. I don't think I've played any other ones. But there's, there's a couple other ones. There's Sticker Star, which is a 3DS, 3DS game or a Wii U game. There's Color Splash. Mario Color Splash. Maybe that's a Wii U game. Are you making these this up? Is all the, yeah, these are no. I'm really not. These are all like these are all uh, Super Mario RPG style games. Um, and then there's Bowser's Inside Story, which, from what I understand, is like the best one of the later Mario RPG, and that's where you play as Bowser in a lot of it. Okay, but they, but they're all overall very different. Those games are all are all kind of kind of similar, actually. Mario RPG is the real is the real kind of black sheep of that of that group of games. It's the mm. one that is the most different. What it seems to me ha- did happen though. And this this is something Nintendo was already doing with Zelda, with The Legend of Zelda and with a couple other games is the idea of the silent protagonist, which SquareSoft I think mastered in Chrono Trigger and Secret of Mana and then to Mario RPG, which is when your main character who is who has I mean in in Secret of Mana it's it's literally the boy so it's kind of a generic just archetypal hero that you get to play so you're able right. to really kind of project your personality onto the boy or the girl there's another character named the girl so if you're female then you can identify with that and then there's the sprite who is somewhere in between so now it, so it's actually the most progressive game in terms of which hero you can identify with in RPG sure. history but um but in, you know in Mario and Chrono Trigger there's Chrono and Chrono Trigger and Mario and Mario RPG but despite the fact that they're like kind of established characters w- with particular backgrounds, like you learn about Chrono's family in Chrono Trigger, you learn about Mario's whole background in Mario, you're still able to project a lot of personality traits and make up your own dialogue if you want, or think about, you know, kind of project whatever personality traits you want onto them. So, I, and that, I think, is the thing that Nintendo has just continued after Mario RPG and all the Mario games. I would only argue that Mario, un- so unlike the protagonist in Secret of Mana and the protagonist in Chrono Trigger, those characters kind of don't have a personality and you can project your own personality on them. Mario has so much personality in this game. And I think this is probably a good spot where we can start talking about one of the things that I think we both really liked, which still holds up, which is the humor that is written into this game, the writing and the humor. Because Mario is a silent protagonist, but many times in this game he is forced to explain what is going on to a group of people. And he does, he does it completely through pantomime. Yeah. Through, the- like a char- through like a charade style thing with both him and other members of his party. And they're all fantastic. Yeah. The pantomime is incredible. It's, it's, the yeah, humor and- in this game is so smart and it, it's just done right. Yeah, it's it's pretty timeless. So Mario has much more of a 
personality. And so I think that this game, unlike Secret of Mana, where I think you can walk away from that and feel like it was your story as a player. Like, this doesn't feel ever like it was your story when you're done. This feels like it was Mario's story. Sure, yeah, I get that. I mean, there's there's subtle differences, I think. But, uh, but I think yeah, overall, but the, the, but the, yeah, the delivery is... So the pantomime is is one is one aspect of, of of the humorous writing, and it's I think the most memorable to me as I played through it again. But just the the kind of the silliness of a lot of the characters that never feels it never feels disingenuine, um, and it never feels cheesy when it's written. Um, it's all it's all just it's it's really good. It's really good. Yeah. Do you have any like specific examples that you can think of or remember that you really enjoyed? Yes, when you're in Booster Tower, there's... The other thing is, and, and this will transition into that story about the minigames, there are a lot of minigames built... Oh, there's a ton of them. ...built into the gameplay of this game, so that not only do you play them to progress the story, but you can also go back and play them again and again to get whatever rewards you want to get, really. And and that... Well, and, and oftentimes they're a one-off. And Yeah. Where it's literally like an entire minigame is built around this one one two minute portion of this game and that's it that's the only time you ever actually see it. like the one i was going to talk about from booster tower so right we'll, we'll have to talk about mini games after this but in, in booster tower you are trying to kind of infiltrate the top balcony of this tower where toadstool which they call her toadstool in this game which i think is hilarious because it's just you don't call her that seems anymore. odd yeah, yeah. It's just, that's that's the dated party they don't call her peach she's toadstool it's just it's funny but when you are supposed to rescue her you're in the next room and there are four curtains and booster says oh i lost my mario doll and so these sniffets these little monster guys run over to the curtains and they open them one at a time and you're running back and forth between the curtains to make sure that they don't open a curtain where you are so at the very end of this mini game they all open the curtain and you're standing underneath a shelf where there's a mario doll so they open all the curtains and you're clearly completely exposed at the bottom and you're kind of you know crouching with your head over your cap and booster's like oh my god there it is and instead of seeing you this giant plumber just standing underneath crouched down they're looking at the doll so they're like oh i wish there was a way for us to get it so then you and this happens many times in the game too is they kind of make mario out to be this jumping master and that's his whole legacy so you just hit b and you jump and when you jump you knock the doll off the shelf and then it falls to the floor so booster grabs it and they're all very excited and then they all just run out of the room like they never even noticed you in the first place. So you just played this whole game to remain hidden and then it just ends up being pointless for like a joke. But it's very funny when it happens. It is. It was very good. And actually most of the stuff that happens with Booster is just super wacky. And I think that's another thing that we can talk about is there's a lot of stuff that's just that's just really weird. Like there's a lot of weird inventive stuff in this game. And one and I do remember one of my my big notes that I want to talk about was just like monster design. So Mario has a very kind of rich and expanded pantheon of monsters now, but at this point in his life of video games, he really didn't. And there are parts in this game where you'll get into like a random encounter with something and it'll be an octopus demon with four balloons that he's holding to say to to stay suspended in the air who has a cannon on his head. Mm-hmm. Like it's just like the most random assortment of stuff that's just put together to make these these ridiculous enemies and it it totally works. Like it just it really 
it really works in terms of visual design for the enemies. And they all look great. All the sprites look awesome and they all move really awesome. And that stuff totally holds up. Yeah, the graphics pleasantly hold up really well. And there's yeah. so much inventiveness in this game. So much. So let's talk about let's talk about mini games a little bit, right? So the mini games, as Cody was saying, will they will progress you in the game when you find them. So to give you an example, you get caught in a flood in an early part of the game when you're in a sewer, and the flood spits you out into the the falls that go to where Mallow comes from. And so you have to go down this waterfall. And on your way down this waterfall, there's this mini game where the, it's the the camera is zoomed way out and Mario is like a little small guy on the on the screen and you can swim against the current of the waterfall like you can do in normal sure. life. Um, swims, you know, directly vertically up uh, against the current and grab coins back and go back and forth and grab coins. And then you can fall in these like pits and they take you to various areas to get extra bonus stuff like items and flowers and stuff. But that happens and you get to the bottom of the waterfall and then you're at the next spot you're supposed to be, which makes sense because it's in this big pond. So the waterfall empties out into this pond. And then at any point that you want, like this mini game, it's not like you're fighting anything in this mini game. You're just going there and getting coins. At any time you want, you can just go back up and play it again if you pay a little bit of money in an attempt to get more of this um, kind of premium currency yeah. that exists in the game. And it's, it's fun and you can just kind of do that whenever you want. And every single one of the mini games follows that same structure where you'll get to it it'll be like hey i gotta scale this wall so these para these um paracoupas come out and they all turn into shells that you have to platform on and you do that and then when you get done with that you can go back in anytime and do this scaling mini game again if you want to so they give you the option to continue to replay the stuff you can get minor rewards for doing so but sometimes they're just kind of like fun to do yeah, minor and all rewards, over the place. A lot of the rewards are legal. I mean, definitely a lot of the rewards are of age, but there some of the rewards are sure, certainly sure, minor. yes, are minor. So, yeah, you have to be careful about that. And speaking of minors, there's a mine cart game. There is a mine cart game. There's a was a, there's a ton of different. But what, what I like I mean, about, really are what I like about this game is that it breaks up the the pacing is is phenomenal for the, I would say the first two thirds of the for the game. most part it's unbelievable yeah. you you do a dungeon you fight some bad guys and then you do a mini game and so there's a huge amount of variety within the gameplay which is which is cool again the first two thirds of the game I think does this really well also we need to talk about the the battle system uh, kind of to to set this into context so. The battle system, it's turn-based, completely turn, uh, turn-based, turn and what's it? It's a, not an active time battle system. What's the opposite? Is it just turn-based? Turn-based. So it's turn-based. It's just turn-based, Which based, means yeah. that you input a command. You, you, have a, you have all the time in the world. You can spend an hour inputting a single command, and then your character immediately takes that action, and then everybody takes turns, and then you know whatever character's speed comes next, you, you get to attack. But you can do bonus damage by timing a button press at the right time so if by the way also all of the all of mario's weapons are callbacks to mario games he has a hammer he has a yep. turtle shell that he can kick he uh bowser's a chain chomp he can throw 
Mario also has uh, turtle shell hammer. What are the other things? He has like a he's got he's got gloves you can punch. So so they use the property really well uh, of Mario. Uh, every little thing there are touches here and there. All of the Mario universe. So you really feel like you're in a Mario universe. But if you tap the button when you throw the chain chomp or when you do that punch, it does extra damage. And that also goes for spells. So any spell or attack in the game, you can you can time that attack and it does more damage. And that keeps you engaged at the beginning of the game. Because most games, you start out and your, you know, your character is automatically balanced so you can just kind of attack enemies and they die. In Final Fantasy IV, for example, I'll just hold the A button as soon as I get into battle. And so it just like, you know, does fight as immediately. There's not yeah. any strategy. At this point, point in game development yeah at this point in in game history really this this wasn't a thing so that kept you engaged during the battles so not only is a standard role-playing game battle feel like almost like a mini game in itself that you have to be engaged with but then again after a handful of battles your first dungeon or whatever first area then you are just thrust into a mini game and so that varies the gameplay and then you go into the next area and then you'll probably get a new weapon or some new skills where you have to learn the timing of that item or weapon or you have to adjust your timing because you're going to hit A at a different time when you kick a turtle shell versus when you use a hammer. So there's all these little adjustments that you're always actively engaged with the game and that's really constant through, again, first probably two-thirds of the game, which which is really refreshing. And then they'll go and they'll throw like a platforming section at Mm -hmm. you, which may not have any combat in it, but requires you to do a little bit of platforming in this kind of skewed angle um and that's something different as well yeah but and i thankfully think the pa- thankfully those are kind of few and far between yeah I, I think the pacing though is just top notch it really is yeah it's really good so the goal of the game get uh find seven stars which are scattered across the land and then go kill this guy go kill this guy smithy who is the guy that has taken over bowser's tower you as Cody was saying, the pacing's very good. It kind of feels, it kind of goes. Like, you feel like you're getting stars at a pretty good pace until until about the fifth, the fifth star specifically. There's a gap between the fifth and sixth star that's quite long. Um, and then it just kind of feels like the game ends pretty much right after that. I mean, you go to the final dungeon immediately following that and, mm-hmm. and, and win. Um, so that part in the game does kind of stall out a little bit. And, uh, and maybe there's just not as interesting stuff as interesting stuff in that part of the game as there was in the earlier part of the game. Um, That could be part of it, too. Like, I don't think I enjoyed the back third of the game... Same. ...as much as the first couple of... the the first bit of it. And and what happens is you... Like, the game tells a very linear storyline and kind of guides you from one spot to another. There's a couple of divergent paths, but they diverge to, like, one place. Like, you can go to Yoster's Isle, Yoshi's Island... Uh, and you can and you can race. You can do some races with other Yoshis and stuff. And that's that's just like a one-off thing that you can do. Um, there's a there's like a an area where they've got some items in like a. Um, j- there's just like different areas that you can just jump off to for one little thing that yeah. may take ten to fifteen minutes. But generally, the game holds your hand pretty well throughout yeah then you get to monstro town which is about two-thirds of the way through the game and it's like here are literally all of the side quests in the game we're just going to have you go here you're going to talk to these people we're going to have you do a hide and seek game across the across the entire world where we're going to hide some flags we're going to 
uh, have you like say, hey, here's like these items that I need you to get that are super rare, like the, the fertilizer and the seeds. And like, you're going to go do that and get some some of the most amazing items. Here is this optional boss that you have to be super strong to kill. Here's another optional boss that is like a, um, a karate trainer who's a bug that's pretty cool. But like, they basically... Oh, and like here, if you do 100 jumps with your super jump, you get a new item here. They give you all of the side quests right there. And then they kind of just don't hold your hand anymore. They kind of, everything kind of breaks off. Like you go to the cloud. It actually happens kind of after you go to the cloud, the cloud city where you go to Mallow's hometown. But then after that, it's, you're pretty much just kind of like, all right, now you can go to Smithy's castle and that's it. So it's like, go engage in these side quests or go to Smithy's castle and, and finish the game. And so there's this big lag in pacing and then all of a sudden you are pushed it feels like you are pushed immediately to the end of the game yeah it's a little abrupt and there are no side quests uh, you you call it side quests but there are a, i guess a, side stuff to do i think there are some optional side objectives but i would uh, i would be hesitant to call them side quests like there's not a lot of narrative there's no narrative written around any there's of them. no narrative and they're very brief Again, like if you unlock Yoshi's Island, okay, so you can go to an island and there's two lines of dialogue with Yoshi and a stereotypical gangster Yoshi. You race once and then you can race more if you want, but it's not really involved. So it's kind of, it's just kind of an extra thing they threw off to the side. And so it's the most linear role-playing game of all of the role-playing games we mentioned, probably of of Squaresoft games in, in in this time frame. So, yeah, I just... And it, it, regarding Monstro Town, really, there, there's one there's one good, interesting side objective. And it's not even that hard to unlock. There's an optional boss in Monstro Town. You didn't fight him, did you? Culex? Yeah. Yeah, I beat oh, him. You did actually, end up fighting the first, him. The first time that I tried. Same yeah. here. Okay, so there's an optional boss, which I remember in childhood, I remember being really difficult. I never, I never, literally never beat him before. So ever. I think I beat him when I was little, but I, I did a ton of leveling. Sure. So, but anyway, you unlock this thing, and it's it's a great tribute to Squaresoft role-playing games. It's a 8-bit graphic boss, so it's totally presented to you in, in 2D, because everything else in the game is modeled with 3D uh, sprites, and it's this 2D boss that comes and references crystals, which is a Final Fantasy staple of the series, and, and talks about how he's there to destroy the Grand Wizard or something. He basically show you... And I believe and I believe that the music playing is the Final Fantasy IV boss music yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah, which is um, incredible. Which is awesome. So yeah, you show up and you literally fight an optional boss that looks like he's pulled from a Final Fantasy game, acts like it, talks like it, and the music is literally the boss music from Final Fantasy IV. And he's really fun. I, again, I unlocked him and I saved the game and I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to run and see what you know his patterns are and see how hard he is to kill or whatever. And I, I kill him on the first try. So then yeah. do you know what I did? You made a sandwich. No. I was not content with that because I was like, ah, I could do better than that. So I went so I went back and I didn't erase that save. And I fought him again, but I used the lucky egg. The lucky egg. <laughs> is that the one which one is that? 
you play it during battle and it creates a lucky oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. this is another random thing when you when you fight enemies sometimes when you kill an enemy it'll just throw something at you Gives and you'll you a bonus. get like attack up or defense up or hp max for the battle really weird or lucky. things and then there's one called lucky where at the end of the fight you can gamble it'll show a little yoshi egg and it'll say okay find find which of these three eggs yoshi is in and then it shuffles them around horizontally and then you have to pick the one. If you pick wrong, you lose all the experience points or gold in some cases. You lose all of it. If it's a tie, it's neutral. Nothing happens. And if you win and you pick the right one, then it doubles your experience points or gold depending on the battle. Well, he gives you 400-some experience points, so it's, it's a huge amount. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to do this. And I got to the end of the battle, and I was like, oh, man, what if I pick wrong? That would suck. Well, I guess I'll have to fight him again if I pick wrong. And then I thought to myself, wait a minute. This console, the SNES Classic, has a rewind feature. Why don't I just do that? So I hit reset, and I just saved my state there before I picked the egg so that if I picked wrong, I could just reset it. Anyway, I picked right the first try, so I didn't even need it. But but yeah, so I got, you know, a ton of experience points from Culex. But again, not as challenging as I remember. And in fact, the overall game was... was for the most part, much easier than I remember. The, the last this time is it- this is a good segue into this discussion because playing this game again, I think it was very obvious to me that Nintendo was playing super conservative with this game to make it as accessible as possible because the difficulty is almost non-existent, provided that you provided that you do the active like the active stuff in battle even even moderately well, you you can almost walk through this game. There so there's a, are a couple bosses that I do think provide a bit of... I, di- I mean, I died a couple times at a couple bosses. Yeah, see, and I, I wasn't even close at any point in the game. I, re- I really wasn't at any point. And I... I Again, I, I think if you just do that active time, that, that active stuff in the battles, like timing your button presses, even maybe 50% of the time, I don't think you'll have any problems completing this game. And I think what it was... And this is obviously just me speculating as a fan. But I think that Nintendo probably said, okay, we've never made an RPG. We've never, like, contracted out an RPG with anybody. We don't really know. Like, this is not our wheelhouse. So we want to make sure that the people that normally play Mario can pick this game up and still enjoy it. And I think if a, if a difficult RPG had been made, um, I think that that would have driven away some players because they were already taking a risk by saying, Hey, we're going to make this, this like, this is not Mario. Like you have ever played Mario before. So if you pick this game up thinking like, Hey, it's great. It's a new Mario game. You may be kind of surprised by that. If you haven't read nothing about it. Right. So I think that they were just kind of playing it conservative and saying, okay, we're going to, we're going to let you do this, but we're going to make sure that you do it in a Nintendo friendly, accessible way. And so I think that that's why the difficulty ends up being the way that it is and why the only truly difficult things in the game are these one-off side stuff like the the, the bug master in Monster Town and that Culex boss in Monster Town that kind of feel like they are very square. Those are like, those feel like they are the very square Enix stuff in this game compared to the Nintendo stuff in this game. And again, that's just me speculating, but I think it it's pretty on par with the way that Nintendo treats treats their properties and kind of tries to make their stuff accessible. 
Yeah. I mean, there's stuff There's stuff in the game, like like Cody said, you'll get these random bonuses from killing a single enemy that'll just be like, oh, maybe you're dying, but all of a sudden you kill this enemy and suddenly your hit points are maxed out. Or you'll use an item and it, it'll just give you a free one of those items for no reason. It'll just say, got a freebie for... And that's unnecessary. Yeah. Like, there's items all over the place, but a- you just... you. You know. Yeah, and it does some softball things that other role-playing games didn't do. For example, uh, an item to revive a fallen enemy typically is very expensive in role-playing games, and in this game, it's five gold for a pick-me-up. And not and not only is it cheap, it revives them at full health. Yeah, reviving fully was unheard of at the time. I mean, because it, it, right. to you and me, we were coming off of, again, Secret of Mana, Chrono Trigger, and the Final Fantasy games for Super Nintendo. So th- those games are not as forgiving, nearly. I mean... Yeah. Oh, and there were way, and there were far harder games than even that too. Yeah. Uh, that Square Enix. So had a revival made to full health that's very cheap and accessible everywhere is was totally unheard of. When you get experience points, in a lot of games where you have large amounts of characters available, and you only have a few characters active in your party, only the active party characters will receive experience points. But again, this game gives everyone experience points. So I can never have Toadstool in my party, which I never did, and she's still going to level up along with everybody else, which definitely takes... Because she's a woman, am I right? She shouldn't be on the front line. You are right. So I, see what you, she, I see what you did there. So she... I hate you. What a jerk you are. So oh much. God. Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that's how that works. Uh, but um, so yeah, it, it's it's that was atypical, but then that also removes the element of... Like, I hated that about Final Fantasy XII. Final Fantasy XII does that, and it, it it got to the point where it was like, why would I ever swap out any characters? Or maybe maybe twelve you, didn't do that, but... No, but, no it definitely okay. did. Because you never wanted to use Bosch, but sometimes you had to use Bosch. Of course. Well, Balthier was the leading man, I think we all oh, he was. remember. But, he was. But yeah, so lots of little softball gaming things. But at the same time, it was common in... Well... There weren't that many events in role-playing games that you couldn't kind of redo to get one-time bonuses. What I mean by that is scenes where there's a scene in a wedding chapel where Peach Toadstool loses a bunch of accoutrements to her to her wedding outfit. To her wedding, yeah. And you have to, she's she's getting married and she needs this she stuff. She does need this stuff. So you run around in this chapel and grab these items, then run over to Booster, and then depending on what how quickly you do it, you get different rewards based on that. There's several little mini yep. games in this game where if you don't do it really, really well, then you're gonna miss up on permanent power ups for the entire game. Which what which is a little like kind of miniaturely punishing and not unheard of from games at the time. I'm thinking Final Fantasy VI, the dinner scene at the Empire when the Empire is hosting sure. you. If you answer the wrong questions or you don't fight enough soldiers, then you're not going to get as many items afterwards. So there are these little events that that are not particularly forgiving, and they really they really kind of say, okay, well you didn't do it right. I you know I guess you don't get this, but it's it's never game breaking. So and it was ne- I mean in this game they those all felt. Like just icing on, they would just make it even easier. Yeah, basically, yeah. because you are given enough resources, even without I think completing any one of those mini games in any capacity, to complete the game relatively easily. Mm-hmm. Because you don't, you don't. I would argue you don't need to cast a single spell in this game, probably, <laughs> to to beat it. You really don't. Like the game, the game takes basic attacks. They are generally incredibly powerful for all of your characters, provided that you are just equip like increasing your equipment at the 
the pace that the game gives it to you that that like the the powers are even unnecessary I, in the battles. In fact, in fact, oftentimes the powers I feel are overpriced for how how much because you you share a pool of magic points as a group. People don't even have their individual magic points. You share a large pool of them. And the highest it can go is 99 points. And some spells may cost 16. So I don't even think that the, the economy on them isn't even set up correctly to make them worthwhile. I think Mallow's Thunderbolt is pretty OP throughout the entire game. Sure. What's your party? What's your go-to party? So when I played this game as a kid, I always ended the game with Mario, Bowser, and Peach. Peach? Really? Al- always. Yeah, because she was the healer. She's terrible. She's completely overpowered. She has a group heal that both heals every member of your party and cures their status. She, it's, it is outrageously powerful. Yeah, but that's the only thing she has. I she has a she frying was pan. I she, she has was a frying pan. It is her best weapon worthless. because she's a woman. I get it. I see what you did. I thought the frying pan was a... Uh, no, it really is her... It, it really is annoyingly her best weapon. No, but I thought that that was a callback to, in Final Fantasy IV, the most powerful throwing weapon that you get. is Was the... Yang's wife wife's frying pan. Why? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Which is... Maybe. Or it's just that she's a woman and it's a cooking utensil. Uh, look, either way, either, either way, it's obnoxious. Regardless, that was my ending party. So I said to myself when I played this time, I'm going to branch out. I'm not going to do the same thing. And I literally picked the other two characters. I picked Mario, Mallow, and Gino. And it didn't matter who I picked. I just walked through the game regardless of who I had in my party. Okay, because I'm a Mario, Mallow, and Bowser guy. Because sure. it, and and um, so when you level up, you can either cho- you can choose an optional bonus. Well, you uh, you get the bonus. You can give a bonus to the growth in attack and defense or hit points or magic attack and magic defense. Every single level through level 15, I gave Mario the attack and defense power up. So, and I did that with Bowser as well, because all I wanted to do was make my basic attack really, really powerful. So every time I got into a battle, I could just roll through enemies. And and this is where the the active battle, the, the kind of active battle elements become a weakness in the game, because it keeps you engaged at the front end of the game. But then the, the last like third or fourth of the game, the battles are really, really easy, and I just could sleepwalk through them. But if right. I wasn't engaged, I had to. like I mean, I had my phone in one hand at one point when I would get into battles, and I'm scrolling through Reddit in my left hand and just using button attacks on the right. And I had, right. you could if you heard the cues from the attack animation, I could just time it without even looking at the screen. But I still had to at least be somewhat paying attention in the back of my head. And I, I thought that, yeah, it just, it was too easy and got a little boring and tedious near the end of the game in terms of gameplay. But again, the game is still, I think, worth playing overall. Very funny, really cute, quirky humor. Yeah, I would I would agree with you. I think it's worth playing. Well, one more thing we'll talk about. We'll talk about uh, the, the big bad in the game, Smithy. But I think it's worth playing for the vignettes in the game. It is not worth... Like, I don't think you come to this game and you say, oh, the overall story is this, is this great, well-told Super Mario story. Because I just don't think it is. But the individual vignettes in the game are all... I think they are all excellent. What do you mean by the vignettes? I think just the scenes? The mini, yeah, like mini, like the mini stories. So like Mallow's story and the story with Booster and the story with Johnny, the shark. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, and the stories, the stories in Monstro Town, and when you get to, to to Nimbus City, like that part is fantastic. That is that may be, or when you fight the Power Rangers, like all of those little moments in this game equate to a game that is totally worth playing for those moments. But and here's what we can talk about, Smithy. Overall, like I was not satisfied by the overall story of this game because, frankly, I think Smithy is a lame big bad. I think he is super lame. I think you go through his dumb factory. I think the factory is I think the factory part is is long and unnecessarily tedious and just frankly kind of dumb and then you fight him and he does not look imposing. He is not difficult at all. Um and it was just it kind of went out like a wet fart at the end of the game. Is <laughs> is kind of like where I fell down on it. And I was I remember finishing it this past time that we just played it. So I just finished it a couple of weeks ago and thinking, man, there was so much about that game that I really liked. And this ending just left me so kind of deflated Mm -hmm. compared to the rest of the game. I would agree with that. And at that time, a lot of games really provided a very, very good, big, epic end battle. And this certainly wasn't that where you don't feel challenged. You don't feel interested. It just kind of happened. But and I don't think that I don't think that Nintendo felt. I think Nintendo probably felt the same way because have we ever seen Smithy or anything like that again? Well, no. But again, you also never have seen Geno or Mallow or the other properties that presumably Square Enix owns. It, it's unclear on the back end. Yeah, that could be. <laughs> but because uh, Geno is a, it's a cool little guy. Like, why isn't he in Smash Brothers? You know, I don't know. Yep. Either way, either way, the ending the ending left me left me relatively disappointed. Yeah. But just thinking back on it and going through the game and the the humor all holds up so well. Um, it the game is totally it totally holds up and is totally worth playing. But it is just again, as I said at the very outset of this podcast, it's not as good as I remember through my rose colored glasses. Yeah, I could. Which see was that. A, it was a it was a good thing to reexamine and and kind of feel that way. Be like, oh, yeah. your tastes are definitely different when you're a kid. I agree. I think it's very much worth playing. Pick it up, check it out, replay through it, and it's not a long commitment. Either. Oh no, it's, it's in terms of the role playing games that were coming out at the time. I mean, I, it was ten to twelve hours, probably. Yeah. Don't you think something like yeah. that? I mean, it was. It went. That game goes. And if you're not a completionist, it's a great game to just stop yeah. around the time you get to the 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 Nimbus Kingdom. Honestly. Like you don't need to do that last leg if if you just don't feel like if you don't feel like kind of grinding through the volcano. It, although the Power right. Rangers fight is is pretty funny, but um, yeah, it's pretty good. So it's pretty good. So let's uh, do a couple Mario RPG trivia questions. You ready for this? Oh yeah, I'm excited. Cool. And by the way, this isn't in the trivia, but you know this game was never released. Uh, was not originally released in Europe. Because the release was so close to Nintendo 64, and it would take so much time. It would cannibalize. It's the same reason why they didn't release Star Fox 2. They didn't want to cannibalize any of those sales. um, Close. They just thought it wouldn't be a good return. So Star Fox 2 was a little different, because Star Fox 2, they wanted to push the 3D engine, and they had a more advanced 3D engine coming out. This game was a little different. They just didn't want to spend the money creating a PAL version of it. They still thought it would sell reasonably. Like, it probably could have sold still, but it was just a straight profit thing. A little less motivated by technology, but but very similar reasons. Um, So... All right, we'll get start with a softball. I've got five questions for you. What is the max level of your characters? 30. 
30, there you go. Yeah, another weird quirk of this game, the numbers are very non-inflated, you know? Final Fantasy, yeah. usually you start with 800 hit points and you're doing, you know, hundreds of points. And, in... you, and, you, and you can have up to 10,000 at the end of the game. Right, yeah, this game... Like, literally up to 10,000. This game, the max damage I ever did with a single attack was... It's not... I don't even think you can go into... In the hundreds. You can't even go to four digits, can you? No, I don't think so. Yeah, kind of, kind of strange, but a little quirky. Okay. All right, name four Nintendo series that have cameo characters or items in the game. Uh, okay, so that was something we didn't talk about. Was they there? There were. Um, there are also the thing. One of the things I like about this game. So let's let's talk about this trivia question for a second. There are these little Easter eggs in this game that serve no purpose in terms of progressing storyline, but are just fun and like kind of funny. Like when you go into Rosetown, if you go into the upstairs of the inn in Rosetown, Link is lying in bed. So Zelda is a property that they that they had a cameo on. Um, you can't interact with him or anything, but he's just there. So that's kind of like fun. Like, hey, check it out. It's another Nintendo property. Um, in Booster's Tower, there you get to this room where there's nothing in it but these curtains. And if you go behind the curtains, Mario just turns into a 2D sprite of the original Super Mario from Super Mario Brothers. And you could just run around that room for a little bit until you're done, and then you just walk out of the room and it, everything's back to normal again. But there, there's no reason to do that. And the music changes to be the music from World 1-1 in Super Mario Brothers. I loved that. I loved that kind of stuff. And there was other stuff like that in the game as well. Anyway, so you've got Zelda. You've got Final Fantasy with Culex. Oh no! Name got four Nintendo series. Nintendo properties. Okay, did if I if I remember right, the the kid did the kid have a Samus doll? Yes, for correct. Metroid? Okay, um, so actually, that's two. no, the kid didn't have a Samus doll, but Samus, I believe, I actually didn't run through this when I came across the game, but I believe he talked to Samus in a town at an inn, and she says she's going to fight Mother Brain. Oh really? Is she like out of costume or something? I, I probably think didn't in see costume, her. but I'm not sure. I don't. I, I actually haven't seen this yeah, one, but I do know I that there's a Samus in the game. Okay, uh, there's Donkey Kong references all over the place. You fight a couple of different types of Donkey Kongs. Um, I don't know if there's like a specific Donkey Kong reference, but there that's definitely in there. Um, mm. I'll give you a hint: Volcano Shop. Volcano Shop. Oh, is that Shopkeeper from something? No, the background. I don't think I even caught it. What was it? Okay, so I know what you're talking about. There's a store. When you're going through the volcano, in the middle of the volcano, there's a dude that has a shop set up mm-hmm. that you can buy stuff at. And I right. didn't realize there was something going on in the background. We'll give you half credit for this question. If you go to the bookcase next to the bed near the back, there are two models just sitting on top of the, the top shelf of the R-Wing from Star Fox and the Blue oh, Falcon from F-Zero. That's awesome. Yeah. So and they're just sitting there. They're just really small. So sure, yeah, kind of random. Great. All right. <clears throat> so, uh, one character. Question three. One character has a different victory animation in Japan. Which character is it? I'm gonna guess. Does Mario give the peace sign in America? He does. I'm gonna guess Mario then. Actually, no. It is Bowser because in the original Japanese version, he flips off the camera. <laughs> <laughs> okay and that was yeah and that's, censored in the probably, u.s <laughs> sure i can see that all right. all right that's pretty good though and that fits with his attitude in this game because he's 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 awesome in this game because he's a total jerk 
for the whole game, and it's great. He's really great. He's very funny in this game. All right, question four. Composer Yoko Shimomura also composed the soundtrack to what popular fighting game? Street Fighter Two. Correct. She composed nearly the entire soundtrack with the exception of Sagat's theme and the round start and new challenger jingles. I don't know how you knew that. Um, I, I've heard her name before. Okay. Um, well, yeah. final question. More recently, composer Yoko Shimomura also composed 80% of the soundtrack to what role-playing game? Um, let's say Final Fantasy XIV. Oh. Actually, that's, no, that's Nobuo Uematsu. I think did a lot of that. We'll say 15. You are correct. Final Fantasy 15. Yeah. Which is unfortunate, I think, because I am extremely underwhelmed by the Final Fantasy 15 soundtrack, other than a few tracks. It's it's just not great. I'll I'll hear it eventually and I think, once I get there. Yeah, but I think the Final Fantasy I think the Mario RPG soundtrack is phenomenal. There's really good it's, themes. There's It is excellent. And that was I think that's probably the thing that we can conclude conclude talking about the game on is that if nothing else, it is obvious that Nintendo made sure that the high level of like Nintendo polish was there for this game because it certainly feels like a Nintendo game. I, I think it feels it feels like as much a Nintendo game as a Square Enix game mm-hmm. yeah. um, in terms of just how well it is made. Yeah. And Nintendo, so it's obvious that Nintendo really cared about even though they were they were giving this to a different company, it is apparent that they cared very much about the quality of this product when it came out. Yeah. Yeah. So good stuff. And that concludes our Mario RPG talk. Now, at this point uh, in the audio episode, I'll put in a commercial for something. Not that we're sponsored by anyone. And sweet. So we have <laughs> we, to, we have to, so, okay. So just, I was kind of unclear as to what happens next now for our next games. So we have already picked our next game for two weeks from now. I've already started it. I don't know if you have, but we're playing Yoshi's Island. Mm-hmm. That's going to be our next podcast. Yeah. You also put up a poll for our next RPG. Now, is that like three games from now or two games from now? So here's the here's the way that I kind of planned it. So John and I have identified there's four RPGs on this system, Secret of Mana, uh, Mario RPG, Earthbound, and Final Fantasy VI. Final Fantasy VI. And those games are less realistic to complete in a two-week time frame. So right. what I said is, also, I finished Castlevania or Contra. I finished one really quickly. So I was like, all right, well, now I've got like eight days till our next podcast and I don't have anything to play. So right. what we're doing is whenever we complete an RPG, we'll pick the next RPG and we'll just kind of play that when we have time to play it. And then whenever we finish it, I think we'll just plan on talking about it. So I don't think that we're going to set... I mean, I, I wasn't intending on setting today, like, Got oh, it. we'll review this in four weeks or in six weeks or whatever. I figured we just kind of have it in the background. And then... I think having a dead... Honestly, I think having a deadline may may keep us honest in terms of making it happen, though. Okay. So I think we should... I think we should point to a date. We can talk about it off air, but I think we should at least maybe point to a date and say, this is the podcast where we'll do this just to make sure that we actually play it and get through yeah, it. Yeah, stick to it. Okay, okay. I would plan on probably sometime in, in March because sure. KC will be out of, um, out of town for a little bit then, so I'll have more time to grind in an RPG, which is good because I don't know how much grinding I'll have to do in the next RPG we're playing, which I've never played before because you, <sighs> listener, decided on Twitter that the next game we will play is a role-playing game I have never played before, ever, at all, and that is Earthbound. I will have a lot to say about Earthbound. You grew up with this game, right? 
I was one of the only people that I know that actually played this game when it was around. I mean, I even had the collector's edition giant buy. Do you ever remember seeing this in the stores? Yes. It had a really dumb sized box because it had to it had to hold the strategy guide in it. I had bought that. It was like a hundred dollars. Um, I had the strategy guide forever. In fact, I still have the strategy guide, I believe, with like the back cover torn off hmm. because it was like this it was like this really cool collector's edition story or um strategy guide that came with the game. It, the game is the game is something really special. It yeah. really is. Yeah, Earthbound I've heard more about than any other role-playing game, and it's it's the only one I didn't really play on Super Nintendo. So yep. that will be our next game. Look for that sometime in March. Now, in our episode, a couple weeks from now, we'll be reviewing Super Mario World 2 Yoshi's Island, which is next on our list. But keep uh, in touch with me on Twitter at, at Producer Cody, and John is at Eat Play Game, and we'll be tweeting out questions for you to nominate whatever game we're going to play after that. So that's our reveal for this episode is Earthbound. And that, that brings us to the, the kind of life segment, which will truncate because uh, we're, we're going a little bit long. But sure. But um, if you may have noticed that our schedule has been a bit crazy lately. Um, we, we are way behind on this episode. We're at least a week behind because my January was a work hell month. And I'm now on the other side of it, which is great. And you were doing like 80 hour weeks, weren't you? It's been just crazy. Um, but all good stuff, all really exciting stuff. I'm, I'm very happy at where I'm at. Um, but uh, yeah, kept us a little behind schedule. And then you had something happen that you were vague about, and I'm not sure if we're talking about or not. Not really. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Still ongoing things. Man, family stuff, probably, because you've got a family to actually worry about and take care of now. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes families require time and energy to up- yeah. upkeep and things like that. So having a three-year-old, he's two or three. He's three, almost four. He'll be four, yeah, in a few weeks. Um, so three weeks from today, actually. That's right. Look at that. Look at me knowing your son's birthday. I don't know why you know my son's birthday. Because it's my wife's birthday. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's like cheating. Yeah, kind of. So anyway, well, in in other... Is she going to be four as well? She will. How'd you know? Because I know you. Yeah. In in other life stuff news, I got Dissidia NT for the PlayStation 4. Dissidia is a Final Fantasy fighting game series that was made for Cody Goff. Originally released on the PlayStation Portable. I played more than 220 hours of the original Dissidia. Then they released a a sequel, kind of, Dissidia Duo Decim, which was really just kind of a re release with a couple additional modes. I played more than 90 hours of that. And now I have Dissidia NT, which is a port of the arcade fighter of the same name. And I got it on release day, and I've played a bunch of it. It plays... It is not similar to the other two games. Really? Not even a little. The other two games are 1v1. This is a three-on-three multiplayer fighter with no actual story mode, really. You unlock story cutscenes. It's very strange. It's it's all the Final Fantasy I wanted, but not enough of the Dissidia that I wanted. Sure. So, but so far I'm enjoying it. I, I resubscribed to PlayStation Plus so I can play online uh, multiplayer, and and I'm doing okay at it. My mains, as much as I give crap to Final Fantasy 15, uh, are Noctis. Uh, Titus from Final Fantasy X and Cloud from Final Fantasy VII. Right now, does Titus does Titus have a blitz ball? Titus, no, actually. But his thing what is, if- he's really fast. Okay, so, sure. Yeah, but um, that's what I've been spending a, a, a lot of my time doing, and of course, occasionally playing Heroes of the Storm with you guys. I don't know if you've had any time for other games lately. 
So the one thing that I did um, start is the there's a, a board game that um, our buddies Will, Max, and I were playing together called Imper- Star Wars Imperial Assault. Online? And it is a... Nope. Nope. In person. And it was a board game. It's a board game that's set... It's set like a game called Descent, which is a fantasy flight game. Basically, it distills the dungeon crawling aspect from a Dungeons and Dragons campaign into a board game. Mm. And you've got one bad guy who's playing as the Imperials in Imperial Assault, and then you've got up to four good guys. And the game sets a campaign where you play through... There's this big campaign book, and it's got these... Uh, these little tiles that you use to make a game board based on what the book tells you to make. And then the, the, the game has like a story and you have to like maybe get to some c- computer consoles and stuff with your characters and activate them. And there's a story behind each mission that you do. And you do up to 14 missions for a campaign. And we completed our first campaign. And so Fantasy Flight released an iPad version of the game. And they, they have an app now where you pull up this app and then you've got the game in front of you and if you can play this solo. So you pull up the app and it tells you what the Imperials are going to do and it has you set up the board with the components that you have at home and then it has missions that you go on. It has you set up the board and then it tells you what the Imperials do every turn and it gives you objectives to do and tells you a story that way. So I started playing this campaign by myself using my iPad and this board game and it is excellently done it is basically like playing a video game with a board game by myself wow it's really cool that is really cool it is really really cool so to give you an example i started off game starts at the end of at the end of um episode four the death star has literally just been destroyed and yavin four is being evacuated so you're you're holding out for yavin four to get evacuated so you have to survive a certain number of turns and there's like Imperial droids showing up. There's Imperial officers showing up. Stormtroopers are showing up. And then in the last two turns, freaking Darth Vader shows up and just starts killing your characters until you like hold out and get off the planet. So I got off the planet and then was told, hey, some of your rebel friends got captured. You need to go rescue them from here. So then I go down and the board gets set up and you're inside of a bar and there's no enemies or anything. And you have to go interact with these points in the bar, which are people, NPCs in the bar to get information you find out that your heroes are being stored in the or that the rebels are being stored in the infern in the furnace room of this bar in the back so you go and open this door and the game has you set up the furnace room when you open up this door and then imperials start to show up at the bar and then ig88 came blew through blew through the wall and killed one of my characters in this game it's super cool and we ended up escaping i got i got some rebels out of there so is this like augmented reality because you talk about setting up the board no, so you, you pull up the iPad app, and it says, take out these tiles and set up the board this way. And then it has you put the Imperial units based on just rules within the game. And then each time that the Imperial units activate, which is the enemies, it gives them, it gives them a list of, of actions that they do. And there's like a list of eight actions that they all can take, and they take them in order up to two of them. So if they can do the first one, they do the first one. After they complete that action, if they can do the second one, they do the second one and they stop. If you can't complete those actions, you like jump down one to the next action. So it kind of gives them like an artificial intelligence. But you're moving the pieces. Right. You're moving the pieces according to these rules. Interesting. But they don't... But the... But the board game you're still physically setting up. Why don't they have a virtual board game, like board in the app? 
because then they wouldn't sell the $100 board game. Oh, so this is a companion app that's free with it's the board game. It's a companion app free with the board game. Wow. And not only so the game the game has is the game is um again the the base the base game I think cost me 80 bucks. I think it retails for 100. And it's got three big box expansions which are are each around $60. And then it's got about 20 small box expansions, which are just these expansions with individual characters that can be added to, that can be added to the game in a variety of ways um, in any missions that you want based on like points that you spend for each side. And the app keeps track of all of those things and implements them into your game if you buy them. All of, as much of the expanded content as you want to buy. Wow. It's super cool. That's so anyway, cool. So What's I've, it called again? I've got a, it's, called, it's called Star Wars Imperial Assault. Star Wars Imperial Assault. Got a fantasy yeah. flight game. And the, and the cool thing is the app does track all of the inventory for all of your characters. Like, you don't have to worry about a lot of the stuff on the game board. You really just have to worry about having your characters out and having the Imperial figures out and then setting up the board. But it'll keep track of all the items and stuff that you have. That's a cool use of technology for board gaming. It's very cool. Very cool. Very cool. Very. Did you see the Han Solo teaser trailer? Oh my god! I didn't. I didn't. I don't watch a lot of trailers anymore. I actually didn't either, and I don't really um, care at all about that movie. You don't have to. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe you don't have uh, as much of a thing for young Harrison Ford as I do. So. Yeah. All right. We'll go with that. Great. Well. Um, that's that's about all I think that's um, happening that that's interesting in in our lives and in video games because again I haven't really in any in anybody's life really in anybody's uh, life um, you and I I think exhaust all of the interesting things that could possibly happen to anybody yeah that that's pretty much true so we will close out with some uh, Gunna Geek Network activity because. In addition to being on WGNRadio.com, you can also find us on the Gunna Geek Podcast Network, where we've got lots of lots of other shows that are super exciting and interesting, such as All Things Good and Nerdy. Oh, look at that, All Things Good and Nerdy, with good old Chris and Naki and everybody else, uh, Willie, uh, who have just been one of the first Gunna Geek shows, kind of helped us get on the network, really, really good stuff. And on ATGN 296... Dang, they got a lot of episodes. That's a lot of episodes. It's called Bronze Medalist Willie. On All Things Good and Nerdy 296, Willie Nelson reports in live from the 2018 Winter Beer Olympics to share that he won a medal. Uh, That's impressive. Yeah, after Willie's news, I, I Naki think, has... Wait, is that impressive? It's at a bit of beer Olympics? I don't actually know. Okay. After Willie's news, Naki has the latest on YouTube stars migrating to Twitch. Chris has the latest details on how Microsoft has made a big move in their update to Xbox Game Pass. And finally, Anthony shares his excitement over the Oscar nominations for Get Out. So that is on All Things Good and Nerdy. And then on a new episode of In Defense of, episode 44, When Harold Met Spolin... Yes, and, joined by players past and present, we look at the unpredictable yet strangely organized world of improv comedy. I'll have to check that out. That sounds like something you need to listen to. It is interesting. and and You have formal training. I do have much formal training. Much, much formal. All the formals. 
Yeah. So many formals. All the formals. And that is all that I can remember wanting to talk about. So I'll let you hey, read you, words. I will. You can check out, before I do, I can say you can check out Cody on Facebook uh, Facebook video, actually, for oh. his other his other podcast. If you, I think if you probably just search in Facebook for Curiosity, right? That's why yep. you would find you? Facebook Watch. Facebook watch. So is if you, as in like, not like, not like wearing a Facebook watch, but like Facebook, I'm going to watch something on my face me book. You right. just, you, you search for curiosity. You'll find Cody. He's been doing some videos for curiosity, which is pretty cool. Yes, uh, thank and you. I, yeah. I've watched a couple of them. They're, they're pretty well done. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah they're pretty I'm, darn good. I've been doing a lot of stuff lately. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're pretty darn good. So it's very obvious that you've got, you've had some formal training. You can tell when you watch those videos. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, check the, check those out, and I'll just say thank you for listening to the Game Life Balance US podcast, the American edition of the Game Life Balance podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe if you enjoyed this episode, and leave us a review if you want to make our day. You can find us on Gunna Geek Network at gunnageek.com or on wgenradio.com. Learn more about Game Life Balance, including contact information and links to our sister show on Australia at gamelifebalance.us. Yeah, shout out to our sister show in Australia. And thank you, AC Yashimura. I got him a couple of games on Steam for Christmas. I got him sure. fi- I got him Final Fantasy VII because he mentioned that he's never played it on a, a previous podcast. And I also got him Goat Simulator mm-hmm. just because one, sure. one year <laughs> you and our friend Will both gifted me Goat Simulator the same it's, year. It's pretty birthday. awesome. So I got him those, and he very graciously and unnecessarily purchased me Undertale, which I haven't played. Have you? Oh, yeah. I reviewed it on this show. I forgot that. Really? I know you you did. did? Yeah, I did. It's Good really excellent. Lord. It's really excellent. Go. You want to talk about a game? You want to talk about a game that subverts RPG tropes? That is a game that subverts RPG tropes. It's excellent. Here's what's funny to me is that um, uh, I, I interviewed. An, uh, there's a friend of mine who, who's an opera singer. I actually interviewed him on the Curiosity podcast, Math and Ring Black, and he's awesome. And he just moved to New York, and he texted me and said, "Hey, have you heard about this game called Undertale? It has a really amazing soundtrack. I'm thinking about picking it up." And legit, the only reason I added Undertale to my wish list on Steam is because every time I go on YouTube and look for video game remixes, there are a thousand Undertale remixes. It has a cult following that is it is strong. It is a strong cult following. It better have a damn good soundtrack. It does. That's all good. I'm saying. But it was just so and, funny that and, and yes, it is all made by one dude. That's awesome. The whole game. Is made by one dude. I just thought it was funny that my that that my friend, who's like literally a professional musician and has awesome taste in music, for the exact same reason as me, was drawn to this game because it's just like, oh yeah, the music. So uh, yeah, I'm look. I haven't played it yet because um, because this Final Fantasy game came out, but it's definitely gonna happen. But anyway, thank you again, uh, AC, for picking that up and check out Game Life Balance Australia. They've been crushing it lately. I've uh, had to deal with a lot of crap in their lives lately, but they're still keeping their podcast super entertaining and interesting. And I'm learning a lot, like a lot about Japanese culture, particularly from AC because he's been talking about it a lot. Cause he's there lately yeah, and he's, he's been there. there a ton lately. So yeah, good stuff. And yes, this is a long one. It is. Sometimes we have those. Sometimes they get long. I don't want to see you again for a while. So in two weeks, we'll do Yoshi's Island. It'll be great. Long and in char. Two weeks-ish. Long and two weeks-ish. We'll figure it out. Because I don't start do playing, Saturday mornings. Start playing Yoshi's Island. It's very good. Yoshi! Yoshi! <laughs>
I'm Cody Goff from the award-winning Curiosity.com. And I'm Ashley Hamer. We're the hosts of the Curiosity Podcast, and we're curious. How is a person supposed to know what's true? What makes someone a night owl or a morning person? How scared should we really be about getting hacked? We talk to experts who can answer questions like these to help you become smarter about the world. Satisfy your curiosity every week on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Or listen on the Curiosity app for Android or iOS. We hope to see you there.